Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. My name is Cud Robinson. Aaron Battle. Okay, so <laughs> today we're talking about Project Blue Book. It was a, a project uh, initiated by the United States Air Force to do an investigation into unidentified flying objects or unidentified aerial phenomena to discover if there was anything behind them or perhaps it was just set up as a low-level debunking exercise. Is it Superman or we just got planes that we forget what they look like? Yeah. Or is it just uh, lightning bolts? Stealth bombers, swamp gas, weather balloons, uh, Roswell aliens coming to steal your underwear off your clothesline. Or ball lightning. Because they're out there and they do steal <laughs> your mind. Yep. Uh, so we get into all this and more. We talk about some interesting cases from Project Blue Book and we analyze special report number 14 to see if it has anything interesting to stay. And so let's get into it. So, Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book was uh, a project of the United States Air Force. Did, did you say Air Force? <laughs> we should keep that in. <laughs> so, before there was Project Blue Book, there was another project called Project Sign. It was also given the charge of uh, investigating uh, unidentified flying object reports. After Project Sign, uh, another project started called Project Grudge. Project Grudge was criticized as being a debunking project and Project Grudge uh, apparently came up with the conclusion that every single unidentified flying phenomena was actually natural in origin or it, it was uh, misidentified. Um, but they actually also came to the conclusion that 23% of their objects could not be um, identified. So, <laughs> so there was an obvious disparity there between what, the, what they were claiming their conclusion was and what their data actually showed. Anyway, so, um, so there was yeah Project Sign, Project Grudge, uh, then Project Blue Book. And Project Blue Book was headed by a man named Hynek and... He was, in the beginning, he was a skeptic. He wanted to debunk the UFOs and he was quoted as saying, the whole subject seems utterly ridiculous. So the, um, the theory is the reason why he was chosen was because the, the, um, the, the Air Force wanted to calm people down or they wanted to keep them ignorant, depending on how you look at it. And so they chose this man who they knew would be extra harsh on the reports and would would give um, explanations which were rather mundane. So, for example, in 1966, Hynek went to investigate a case in Michigan. There were reports of UFOs um, in this town in Michigan, and uh, he reported that he, after three hours investigation, he reported that 
it was nothing more than swamp gas, or that is, it was it was swamp gas, or the majority of the cases were swamp gas, and um, swamp gas didn't explain all of them, uh, but that was the main explanation, and the the press ran with that and said it's it's it was swamp gas, uh, which led to him being ridiculed. Apparently, it wasn't good enough. <laughs> I, think, I don't think the people were buying it. No. No, I don't, I don't think so. And this is interesting to look back now and think that in the 50s and 60s, the media was actually very different. Uh, like, how, how would you describe the difference in the, um, from what we've researched? Well, it appears like they actually wanted to find out something. Yeah. They, they weren't fed. Uh, and it's something that I can't even begin to imagine. <laughs> What the news would be like when the person that's reading or the reporter that's out on the on the show is actually interested yeah. in what they're reporting on personally. Yeah. It's like it's a totally different style of news. Yeah. So this was before public relations really got big. I mean, Edward Bernays started his work in the 20s, I believe. And in the 50s was when the CIA started launching Project Mockingbird which is a project designed to uh, manipulate the media within the United States. So at that stage, I, I guess, uh, from what we can tell from our, from our research, it seems like back then journalists actually had some kind of integrity and they weren't just going to publish a press release and call that news. Uh, they actually wanted to investigate and they would actually uh, be honest about what they were saying. They weren't necessarily so afraid of being mocked for reporting about these uh, sightings of UFOs. What, what blows me away is it's 60, 65 years ago mm. that this would have been going on and it's like even now it's still a taboo topic. You don't yeah. talk about UFOs or you know, any uh, phenomena of that kind because it's just craziness. It's like they've done a good job. In, in pushing that message on, you know, only crazy people talk about this, yeah. this stuff because, yeah. uh, I mean, it's, it felt weird, man. You're like, yeah, homework. We're going to read uh, Project Blue Book. And it's like, okay, buzzword, Project Blue Book, aliens. That sounds like a cool thing to, to check out, you know, <laughs> 314 pages of boring. Um, but yeah. extremely well done report. Yeah, like from a scientific. So you're, you're point referring of view. to Special Report 14 from Project Blue Book. That's the one you sent me. Yep. Yeah, I, I thought it was very well done. I think from a scientific point of view, it's just um, you said, "So, hey, what did you think?" And my comment was, "Well, they did a good job at not answering the the question <laughs> or, or giving you the answer they proposed in the beginning." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah, it only reveals what uh, what it wants to reveal, and and uh, it doesn't tell you much more. But um, in regards to the the story of Hynek, it's interesting because when Project Blue Book was finally ended, uh, which I think was around 1970, uh, he actually went on to found another organization. So he was. By the end, he was apparently converted. He was no longer a debunker. He was con convinced there was something behind UFOs because he went on to found this organization called the Center for the UFO Study, uh, Center for, for UFO Studies, uh, or CUFOS. And he was also a consultant 
on the Steven Spielberg movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So uh, that's why some people at the time, the uh, ufologists lauded that movie as being extremely accurate when it came to Close Encounters. You, you wonder where they get their info from. Like, <laughs> well, in this case, they got, it from, they got it from Heineck. <laughs> well, that seems like a pretty good source. Yeah. He's uh, pretty reviewing all the different reports. He's yep. getting free information from crazy farmers. <laughs> yeah. And then goes on to sell it in the movie industry. Yeah. That's, it's a pretty that's, good deal. Uh, <laughs> markets for you. Mm. I mean, after reading the, the, the whole... Uh, Special be, Report 14, yeah. Just to be right. That's the one we looked at, yeah. You mentioned to me that it's one of the most popular. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, it, I, I think it's the one that gets talked about the most, but I think the reason for that is it, it was the one that was released in the media. As they, were, they were holding it up and saying, this is our shining example of our conclusions of, of what we think of UFOs. And so this is the one which became popularized in the press. Uh, yeah, for for the size, I mean, it, it took a lot of data. Like it would have taken a long time. There been a lot of a lot of interviews and uh, written accounts that were absorbed by this report. Mm. Uh, I mean, just in the year 1952, there was over 1,200 sightings of civilians that were taken into the report. But right. what what is a little bit misleading is that it's it's done from a, it's a statistical point of view. Hmm. Uh, everything's all the information is all categorized and and uh, and and filtered in, but it's like they're trying to fit it into boxes, and they're they're not actually exploring the phenomena. Yep, yep, that's uh, that's exactly what they're trying to do, and it even states that they're trying to find these trends or create a model of UFOs and and the, actually what it comes down to, they they look at about. 400 cases, or, or the, uh, the sample size for this report is about 400 cases, and uh, they narrow it down to 12 cases where they say these are the ones which we, where we have good information and the source is reliable and uh, it, it can't possibly be uh, an aircraft or a helicopter or anything like that. Uh, or a you know a bird or a ref- reflection of a windscreen, yeah, glow, glow worm, <laughs> uh, Venus, or any other thing like that. So they narrow it down to these twelve cases, and they give these short summaries with diagrams. So it's like one one or two pages for each case, and they they all they they all seem very ordinary. If a, if a signing of a UFO can be ordinary. Well, they certainly made it seem so. <laughs> I don't think that was really the intention. No. But, but by looking at the questionnaire, they would have been giving it the public. Yeah. They're looking for things like, you know, what sound did it make? Mm-hmm. Or what color was it? Or oh, what was that angle from the horizon which it disappeared when, when it went out of view? Something like that. Yeah. Angles and speed. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, was it, was it going, did it, I don't even know, like materialization and uh, it doesn't specifically ask, does it disappear? But asking a question like, did it, was it going less than or more than 400 mile per hour? Hmm. It's like, that's, that's between fast and faster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. How is anyone going to judge that? Uh, I don't know. Unless you're a trained uh, aircraft pilot. Or a policeman. Pilot. Yeah. 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 
Well, it, I mean, it was interesting because I, I was I was a little bit left, um, you know, unsatisfied with the report. So I I jumped on YouTube and checked out a few different videos of like whistleblowers and associated blue book interview material. Mm. And uh, most of the people that are, that are on there, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, what's real and what isn't. I mean, it's, they're just videos on, on YouTube. Mm. But they all talk about speeds of like 10,000 miles per hour or faster. And so I really, um, and there's no one really there that, that I think read radars and things to be able to give you any like solid information. Mm. Like a lot of the information about the information is like, uh, you know, strategies in way they uh in the ways that they threatened people inside the projects not to talk about information or, uh, or what would happen if you were a whistleblower mm, okay <laughs> so uh, so it was like you know i don't know if you, i mean you, you read the report it's like you get through it and it's pretty dissatisfying <laughs> yeah yeah and i think that was i i do think that was the intention i think they wanted to release this thing which was mundane and boring and and uh just provide well they provided this conclusion i'll explain it in a, in a moment but uh they provided this conclusion which basically made no sense but um dissuaded anyone from talking about the subject ever again uh <laughs> yeah because you don't want to be crazy <laughs> yeah well i think that that came in later that's more uh, outside the scope of this program because um, this project I think was mainly just making it appear ordinary, making it appear like um, there there are these few outlying cases uh, which though they're actually, if, if you look at them objectively, they, they are very unusual but the, the report makes it seem boring and then, um, you know, who, who really wants to talk about that anymore um, so, so the press can just dismiss it and well, that's that. Th that's, and that's because there's so many categories for, uh, for identified and non-identified phenomena of that mm -hmm. kind. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, I mean, you, you told me about, a, about one that was a reflection of a window and it's mm -hmm. like, well, well, whoops, it was a, um, yeah, it was, it was a light inside, internal car light reflecting <laughs> off my window that I couldn't work out what it was and it's, you know, all enclosed in your own world. Yeah. But, I mean, most of these are, are clouds or birds, dust, camera smudge, um, or or they get put into categories like uh, insufficient information or unknown. Yes. Um, it's like that. That's there's no information there. Well, unknown in this in in this report actually refers to an unidentified flying object. That's what it means when it says unknown. But um, but like you say, they they play it down like like that's a, a small percentage of all of the you know anomalies that can be accounted for by yeah. swamp gas or balloons or what have you. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't really matter if it's a, if it's a small percentage. I mean, these these people. It even basically says in the report that these people were were reasonable people, psychologically sound. Uh, that you know they had no reason to lie, their credibility was high. They, um, you know, as a witness, they were good witnesses, and that's why they're included in the report. But then it uh, it does everything it can uh, to dismiss them. Yeah. So in the <laughs> in the conclusion, what it says is they are unable to find trends, 
because they're an- analyzing these 12 cases that they've, they've narrowed it down to and they say, oh, well, no, no two are similar enough that, they, that we can say that there's any trend there so we can't develop a model and therefore it's unlikely that it's a real phenomena. Uh, so how does that make sense? It, it doesn't seem to follow logically just because you can't put things into categories doesn't mean they're not real. To, to me, that's a non sequitur that, that really doesn't follow logically. It's like if I give you a sample of, uh, say, 100 different types of cars from around the world or 100 different types of insects and you can't find two that, that are extremely similar, does that mean that insects aren't real? Of course it doesn't mean that. And that's like <laughs> that's complete nonsense. That's That's just gobbledygook. Um, the other thing is, in, then it goes on. Uh, oh, before before the conclusion, it has this piece where it starts talking about how when um, someone initially hears about a two or three UFO reports, of course they normally hear the most lurid, the most sensational ones, and they say, "Okay, I guess there's something to that," or maybe they uh, even conclude that UFOs are a real phenomenon, and uh, then. It describes that people, or especially the personnel in the program, read more and more of these reports until they were reading so many that there was no new information. Um, which is also, I mean, that's contradictory for one thing because they said that there's no similarities between these two cases, but then they're also saying that that there's no new information. So it, it can't really be both. Um, but then they, they say that um, as as these as the personnel read more and more, um, they can't help but feel the sense of skepticism, and they would need uh, to make a conscious effort to to remain objective, which it's really unscientific to say that. <laughs> it's basically saying, well, we we didn't uh, after looking at um, hundreds and hundreds of reports, um, we were pretty bored of it um so therefore it doesn't exist no that's it that doesn't work that's exactly like that. it's exactly what it's they nonsense. say <laughs> but the, the way i interpreted that was yeah that there's there's so many of these cases like thousands mm. of these cases where um some go up some go right some go left you know what i mean it's like <laughs> it's like you know there's so many there's so much information here that it's just, yeah. I'm just repeating myself. It's the same stuff over and over. So then it's boring. Mm. And yeah, they're saying there's no trends because they all equally don't match up. They're all equally unique. Um, but I mean, I guess the trends are, um, do they fly like or unlike traditional aircraft? Yeah. And, but they don't, they don't make those comparisons. They yeah. go, well, <laughs> well, you're telling me that's unidentified. That's a trend. And you're telling me they act weird that's a trend mm-hmm. and they all have different lights and colors and shades that's a trend yeah and it's oh, like well this- a lot of them have the same shape a lot of them are in that kind of stereotypical flying saucer shape or they're in cigar shapes mm. and yeah so there definitely are trends there but someone that was designing the study made that trend sort of uh you know like a like, slide into the background yeah like as if that's not an important trend like yeah. if that's just a well that's just what it is we already know that <laughs> yeah that's the that's the assumed thing 
ah, that's not the important thing. <laughs> the yeah. angle at which it disappears over the horizon, that's the important thing. So what, yeah, what, what, what is important? <laughs> the, the speed? 400 miles or less or more? It's like, is that, is that important <laughs> in this case? Not to me. Uh, that's, I, can, I couldn't distinguish between those two velocities in any case. Well, that's why I posed the question, who designed the study? Because that person... Um, knew a lot about the area, they mm. didn't exactly know what they were looking for, it appears. Or maybe they did and they took well, it that's away. A, that's if you're assuming that they came in with the intention of actually doing an honest report, an honest investigation of, of what UFOs are. But I, I don't think it was in, intended to be honest. I think it was intended to be a debunking scheme and it was intended uh, at, at least in part to... Uh, settle people down if they had war nerves, if they were worried about the Russians or so, something like that. Anyone that reads the report would come to the same conclusion. It's it's pretty evident that there was no real, you know, there's no real energy going towards finding something out here other mm. than just documenting how many people see the same thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> that's kind of a bummer isn't it <laughs> I mean, I, like I said man I, I heard like you know you hear Project Blue Book around the conspiracy circles and, and it's like okay I, I'm actually going to I'm going to read a section of this and, uh, and I'll see what I think and it was, it was a letdown yeah and to follow up with what you're saying about the way they concluded this, this whole study um, I, I enjoy the part at the, at the very end at the very end of the report, it says, um, considering the highly, no, considered to be highly improbable that any of the reports of unidentified aerial objects examined in this study represent observations of technical developments outside the range of present day scientific knowledge. It's like, I don't think that was even captured in any way, mm-hmm. um, anywhere in the report. Yeah, the- so if you, if you have a case where there's like this giant cigar-shaped uh, object or um, a, an, what looks like an air, aircraft with no wings and it has uh, six bright lights on the side and, and it moves without making a sound. Or and it's static. Yeah, yeah, or just hovering in the air without any apparent rotors or anything like that. Uh, but apparently that is not indicative at all of any technologically advanced object. Uh, Highly improbable that it's outside (laughs) the range of present-day scientific knowledge. I mean, I think they give you the same answer now. Mm. And it's, you know, we're only half a century plus in front of this reported time. Mm. Um, And and still no one really seems to, to want to know about what's going on up there. Yeah. Or what that is. It's kind of cool in a way because I know we, you know, we see so many movies on aliens and all that. We're not even talking about aliens. We're talking about just unidentified happenings. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there's so many of these reports. It, you know, why are so many people comfortable getting on planes <laughs> on these very, you know, on these rockets that, that take off in one linear form, are very slow and in, in, they can't move. They can't, there's no, like they're very... Uh, in, they're very immobile yeah. uh, in comparison to what, we're, to what the reports are reading. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm still comfortable getting on a plane. That's actually <laughs> a thought that came through my mind. I'm getting on a plane that takes off in one direction and goes straight across there and then lands again. 
It's like these, these UFOs could just run into it or we could, <laughs> we could go through one or they could go through us and we don't even know what that is. Yeah. And, uh, and no one seems to be wanting to ask questions about that. No one seems to bother. No one seems to care. It's either somebody knows or they don't know and they don't care. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I'm only one person and I seem to care a little bit. <laughs> I mean, you're interested in this. Yeah. Yeah. So, and there's a whole scientific body above us that should be looking into this stuff and it doesn't seem like, like there's much answers coming out. Yeah. It's, uh, from what we can tell from Blood Project Blue Book, the question is deliberately ignored and explained away and overlooked. Anyway, they can justify it or rationalize it or just, yeah, basically ignore it. <laughs> they will. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, but there are some interesting cases from Project Blue Book, not from Spe Special Port 14, and we'll get into those in a second. One interesting case uh, from Project Blue Book, which wasn't reported in Special Report 14, is the, the Lonnie Samora incident. So this is a case that happened in uh, New Mexico, in Socorro, New Mexico, in the United States. And uh, this is a case of a police officer. Uh, he was driving along the road and he saw something interesting in, a, in the dry creek bed by the side of the road. And what he thought at first was that he saw an overturned car and he thought maybe some kids were speeding and had a crash and, and now their car is upside down by the side of the road. So he he started moving towards it and and uh, he, yeah, he got out of the car and he saw something aluminium white, but it, w it wasn't really reflective, but it, um, like not chrome, so you couldn't make anything out in the reflection, but it was somewhat shiny. He saw a, a symbol on the side of this thing or the, the side of this vehicle uh, in big red lettering. And he also saw two guys wearing white coveralls. And as he approached, um, the guys in white coveralls, he described them as either large children or small adults. Uh, the, the two beings disappeared behind the vehicle. He continued coming towards them um, with the intention of helping them. Then he started hearing a roaring noise and going from a high frequency to a low frequency. He said it, it wasn't anything like a jet. Uh, a, a jet is more like a blast, but this is a roaring noise. Uh, so he hits the deck and he assumes the thing is going to explode. And uh, the, the craft apparently took off. Uh, later, Zamora examined the floor, sorry, examined the ground 
near where the craft had been and he saw there was scorched earth and there, there was some burning bushes, which was later confirmed by his sergeant, Sergeant Chavez. And uh, this story was, it, it was co- corroborated in some aspects by uh, a farmer, um, a crazy old farmer named Gary Wilcox, who lived nearby. Uh, he said he had some a strange experience where he talked to two fellows in white coveralls who said they were on an expedition from Mars. And <laughs> that's about the extent of the facts of the case. Um, oh, can you bring up that email so I can read out the, the quote, of the description of Zamora's character? Uh, so this is what Project Blue Book's director, uh, Major Hector Quintanilla, um, this is his comment on the case. There is no doubt that Lonnie Samora saw an object which left quite an impression on him. There is also no question about Samora's reliability. He is a serious police officer, a pillar of his church, and a man well-versed in recognizing airborne vehicles in his area. He is puzzled by what he saw, and frankly, so are we. This is the best documented case on record, and we still have been unable, in spite of thorough investigation, to find the vehicle or other stimulus that scared Samora to the point of panic. What sort of stimulus do you think they're looking for? <laughs> vehicle. Well, I have heard some people speculate that this vehicle was actually the Lunar Lander. Yeah, so this incident happened in uh, April 1964. Just looking at this, there are some quite cool pictures of yeah. associated incident-related um, <laughs> CGI, it looks like. <laughs> yeah. So we've got the diagram there, which Samor himself drew. And then some people have gone through and, and uh, created a uh, sort of artist's interpretation of it with the, the craft. It's like a kind of uh, squashed egg shape or football shape and this strange red symbol on the side. That symbol looks familiar. Is that the Illuminati? <laughs> oh, well, that's an artist's impression. So, you know, of course, that isn't me. That isn't any real footage. Hmm. So these two guys or big children or little people said they were on a mission from Mars. Yeah, according to Gary Wilcox, and and he was also uh, characterized as an upstanding member of the community, an honest guy, and and, uh, he was described as having an unimpeachable reputation. Nobody could say a bad thing about him in the community. So... This would have been too early for MK Ultra to try and defame his name. No, not necessarily. It could have it could have been the case of MK Ultra, but then there's a, a case of the these uh, these two people who ha- hadn't necessarily had a conversation describing similar things, uh, describing similar people in different parts of the same town. So this, so, is, this isn't a once-off, you know, crazy story. Well, it, it happened that, that day and that's it. Like yeah. it nev- never happened again, but there were the two people. There was uh, Officer Samora and there was also the farmer, Gary Wilcox. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, well, I don't know. Well, what happened? Is there, much, uh, is there any comments on his career after that? Uh, no. I, I haven't done any research about that. No, I mean, it, it's, but, just, it's interesting because you, I mean, your reference to the fact that he's a 
upstanding, creditable, you know, like a, a pillar of society. Yeah, that's and, the idea. And uh, it's like, you know, this sort of thing. I mean, now mm. you'd expect him just to keep his mouth shut and not talk about it. Probably, yeah. But at the time, he probably thought he was doing the right thing. By, yeah, sure. By telling everyone about it. Yeah, well, also at the at, at the time, I guess he personally didn't have the choice because uh, he'd, he'd already radioed to Sergeant Chavez and, and said, you know, come check this out. Uh, and, you know, when, when Chavez arrives and, and sees that there's uh, a bunch of burning bushes and stuff, uh, he's going to have to explain himself. Like, what, See, what can you do? There's a paddock fire. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, doing some police arson, the normal stuff that we do. Just getting rid of those reports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just burning some classified documents. So yeah. that that uh, that story is jumped out as, uh, as one that you picked that you wanted to share. Yeah. Um, what, what was, like, the, the, the critical point like, uh, of that of that story, or just that, this is a, a well-documented report. Yeah. yeah. So, it, I mean, it's corroborated to, to some extent by the three witnesses. It's it's a close encounter of the third kind. You know, one person actually sees these beings and the other person has uh, has a conversation with them even. Um, though uh, the... Um, the the ufologist and, and paranormal um, expert... Jerome Clark actually mentioned this in his book and said that uh, it's it's possible that the, the the beings were lying that they weren't actually from Mars, which of course that that wouldn't be surprising if they if they weren't from Mars, um, especially at the time because people um, it, w- it was well accepted at, at the time that there was nothing no such thing as uh, as life on Mars and. Um, so he said that they, it could open the um, investigation to other kinds of uh, extraordinary phenomena, uh, for example, uh, demons or so- something like that. Okay. It, no, yeah. I, I guess, um, I mean, that, that, that opens up a whole, whole different world of point <laughs> because, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the collective societies at that time Mm. wouldn't i mean they they wouldn't be so conditioned to go oh you know aliens ufos you know life on other planets like we are like when you when you said that story it sounded right. like any uh you know any alien for a- alien and friends coming to visit earth you know that you'd see at 4 30 on a childhood channel you know what i mean like, <laughs> could be any any cartoon it's like you know we're conditioned yep. for yep. these ideas that back then you know that sounds like you know demons just ripped a hole through you know this dimension, and it could have been anything. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just I like comparing the times and and trying to put myself in that in those years of that report mm. because you think you know you're coming at it from a completely different mindset. Mm. Yeah. And the interesting ca- thing about this case as well was what the skeptics try to say. Uh, the one skeptic named uh, Mansell. Uh, insisted his first uh, explanation was that um, Samora was the, um, the the victim of a prank of some high school kids. So apparently, these <laughs> these high school kids had uh, they were trying to discredit Samora, and they had arranged for a craft to be you know placed in, in this dry creek bed and and then blast off and 
and uh, leave some fire behind. <laughs> uh, and he w- Mansell was attacked by by members of this community. They said, "No, there's, that that's absolutely that's absolute nonsense." Uh, later, he changed his story and said, "Oh well, it was obviously a dust devil, or what in in Australia we'd call a willy willy, uh, like a, a a tower of circling wind, like a tornado, except much smaller in its effect, much less powerful." And you have to question what is what the hell is going through Menzel's mind that he could think that a, a shiny aluminium white craft with two people around it that you could actually mistake a dust devil for that. That's, that's, <laughs> there's no way that works as an explanation. That's like really grasping at straws. So um, then the, another skeptic, Philip J. Class, at first he said it was ball lightning, uh, which again, it, it doesn't match the facts at all. Uh, later he insisted it was a tourism scheme. He, he insisted that Samora was actually colluding with the mayor, Mayor Bursum of Socorro at the time, uh, and uh, they were trying to increase tourism to the area, uh, and he claimed that Bursum actually owned this land, uh, the dry creek bed where Zamora had seen the craft, which uh, turned, out, turned out to be untrue. There was, uh, Bursum did not own that land, and... Um, I believe the land is still undeveloped. Oh, well, I did see um, one photo of uh, just a plaque which said this was the this was the site where Zamora witnessed a strange craft. So that's about it. I don't think they really did much for Socorro's um, tourism industry, really. Uh, so <laughs> oh. if, if that was a conspiracy to, to increase their tourism, I think they failed or they... They never followed through on it. <laughs> well, not with that attitude. <laughs> the, the kids with their amateur rockets yeah. couldn't, couldn't pull yeah, it off. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing what high school kids can do. Yeah, with <laughs> Great paper. Yeah, with, with a few uh, pipe cleaners and a bit of uh, a bit of ticky tacky and some some glue. It's a great one you can put together. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that was interesting, but it just. It, it's quite amazing that, that these skeptics, they just seem to uh, grasp at straws. But I guess those were the ones that stuck out because they're the most ridiculous explanations. I mean, if you really wanted to, to make an explanation, I guess, I guess the, um, the tourism scheme is the most credible or just that, you know, you could say, well, Zamora just made it all up and that's that. <laughs> um, Zamora and Wilcox had a beer and decided that they were going to play a prank on the entire world or something like that. Um, but still, it's it's a bit of a, a stretch to, to fit the evidence. I just don't understand why there's so many people to jump out of nowhere and, and tell tell the world that, you know, that it was made up or that it was a prank or we come up with alternative, like, why can't they just accept what he said yeah. and, and say, well, you know, whether it happened or not, who knows, but that's what he said happened. Yes, yes. Well... Yeah, I mentioned last time how you see these cases uh, like on Larry King. Larry King uh, has has done a few specials about UFOs and he always gets like a debunker in or a skeptic and generally the skeptic has no idea what he's talking about and and tries to to make these really, really 
stretching the imagination claims that oh, like these three uh, aircraft pilots, the Air Force pilots, saw this same thing uh, and they were making notes at the same time that they were observing it. But somehow the skeptic claimed that they were actually conflating uh, their story, uh, sorry, con- confabulating their stories. So afterwards, after they saw a lighthouse, uh, they talked about it for hours later and confabulated their story so they believed they actually saw a craft with a light on it that moved and, and uh, stopped in, in midair and um, then went off in, in a 90-degree direction. I mean, how 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 many uh, mental gymnastics do you have to go through to to believe that that's actually a, a, a credible explanation of the events? It just it it doesn't work. I mean, either, either you have to question the the integrity, the honesty of the people who are reporting it, or or you have to say there's something else going on. But that that um, explanation really doesn't fit the facts and that's what you find with so many of these skeptics um they're willing to to squeeze it any way they can um the other example was with um yeah with heineck and the the swamp gas in michigan it just doesn't work and and for that incident i think that the sheriff was discussing it with with heineck before the before uh, heineck made a, a public uh, release about it and uh, the sheriff was like, well, that's funny he's saying that now because uh, yesterday he was saying, I have no idea what I'm going to tell these people. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, well, especially in that case, of course, Heineck had significant pressure to come up with some kind of story which would make it seem banal. That was his job. Yeah. I mean, you said it, you said it yourself. He was selected to yep. play it that way from the beginning. Yep. It's yep. just a shame he didn't tie up all the loose ends. It seems like it was more of an honest time back then. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> in, in some ways, yeah, in, the, in, in journalism, yeah. I, I thought what I wanted to show you was um, the, the video footage, time-lapse video footage of yep. the, the volcano in, um, in Chile. Yep. But, um, what's, what was it called? It's called Coluco, Colobo or something. <laughs> I had it here a minute ago. Okay. Um, All right. We'll just we'll bring it up on the screen now so you can see this this footage of a purported UFO in Chile. And uh, when when I watched it, I said that uh, we we saw the time lapse from RT. And you could see lightning flashing either side of it, and it, it's playing at like a rate of, of uh, one minute per second. So every second represents a minute in real time. And uh, then you see this this white ball hover, like half obscured by the clouds, and it just stays there for for about three or four seconds. So really, it's it's staying there for three or four minutes. Yeah, that's it. I came across it when I was looking for. Um blue book related material and it was like hey check out the the latest ufo caught Mm -hmm. on on digital and it was like this is an example of ufo so i'm like hey kurt check out the uh check out the latest ufo pick and it was nearly instant it's like that's not a ufo that's ball lightning (laughs) i didn't i didn't say it i I said it (laughs) could be ball lightning because i have i'm not a meteorologist i have no idea 
but then we we did a little research into ball lightning, and the the first video that came up was this guy on the Weather Channel, and he's like, "Imagine this light bulb is actually outside your house, and suddenly it enters your house through the window." Like I, I think he said it was like through a closed window. Is, it, is that what he was it, saying? It seemed like it went through the wall, by the way. Yeah he, yeah, he was describing it like it just like straight up went through some other matter and then it's in the middle of your lounge room and suddenly it just fizzles out or explodes. Uh, and he also said nobody really knows what ball lightning is. Like it's, it's extremely difficult to understand lightning on its own, but ball lightning is, is even more mysterious. So it it seems like ball lightning is to say ball lightning is almost like saying UFO, uh, <laughs> like even if you can explain it as ball lightning, it's not much of an explanation. That there there might be more to that that require more research. Yeah, well, I mean the reason why I showed you the video in the first place mm. of perhaps ball lightning uh, was so that we could look at it and see how it how it would fit into the questionnaire of mm. Project Blue Book. Yep. Um, I, I wanted to see whether, you know, whether we would do any good trying to, you know, whether we'd sound credible putting it into the model that they're trying to, the questionnaire, they're asking everyone. And, um, mm. you know, we didn't even get that far because it, it appears like, you know, we don't even know how to, how to classify anomalies of lights that we find in the sky. So mm. it's like, well, you know, we really, we really got nothing to base it on. <laughs> it's like, is it, is it lightning or is it, an object or is it material or is it a, a glitch in the matrix? <laughs> I don't know. And, and they don't either. So that was that. Yeah. Yeah. So if, you know, if you really want to be an alien coming to earth, what you really need to do is fit out your spaceship to look like ball lightning, uh, make it a couple of meters in diameter. And then you can just fly around in the shining ball of light and you'll probably be able to go undetected. I mean, even Will Smith won't be able to find you. Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones won't be able. But to But maybe find the you. new, like you know, the, the the young version of Tommy, because he was in. The, he would have been around the fifties. Doing his prime. All right. <laughs> Out there chasing ball lightning. Uh. <laughs> I thought. I thought you were pulling my leg. I had never heard about of ball lightning. Never no, heard of it before. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I, I don't know. When when did you first come across the term? Uh, I, I have no idea. I have heard that uh, there's some kind of experiment where you can generate it using your microwave. I don't know if it's really safe to do in, at home. I, um, but you put you put some metal and certain things in your microwave, and uh, you can generate bolt lightning. I'm sure the guys at um, Tesla motor motor cars know all about that. <laughs> okay, next they're going to be uh, making a, an appliance where you attach a piece of ball lightning to your wall and it powers your entire home. It's like, what the hell is that? That's just my, <laughs> my Power Orb 2000. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Elon Musk's balls hanging on the wall. Yeah, you, you get home. pairs, wouldn't you? I'd, I'd want two to feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like one, one lightning ball isn't enough. <laughs> now you know a little bit about Project Blue Book. Cool. Uh, my name's Kurt Robinson. My name's Aaron Battle. We've been the Paradise Paradox and continue to be the Paradise Paradox. So press like on YouTube. Press 
comment on YouTube, press subscribe on YouTube, press like on Facebook, press subscribe on iTunes and Pocket Casts, and have a great day. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say. I guess what I shouldn't have done is that support.